Welcome back, warriors and peacekeepers, to the Hemingway List podcast. Book 1, Chapter 18. We learn in this chapter that the dying Count has demanded to see his son Pierre and his wishes are being ignored. Do you think Pierre will return from the Rostovs' party in time to speak with his dying father? If Pierre does receive the full inheritance, how do you think he will behave toward the other family in the house? Will he kick them to the curb or share the wealth with them freely? Katish claims near the end of the chapter that the only reason she will help Vasily find the will is out of hatred for Anna Mikhailovna who she believes is behind the intrigue of the situation. Do you think her accusations could be accurate? Is Mikhailovna somehow the reason that Count Bezikov has seemingly abandoned his apparent heirs in favour of a bastard son? After all, Pierre and Boris are old friends, and Anna seems willing to do whatever it takes to give her son a proper send-off. Or is Katerina simply insane and justifying her own ill intent? You know, I don't remember noticing last time I read the book, but I definitely noticed it today how that line about uh, Anna Mikhailovna having gotten into the Count's ears and turned him off the three um, nieces or whatever they are, the three girls who are their current heirs. You know, I don't know what she said to him, but it made him physically ill, whatever he learned about them, and he didn't talk to them for several weeks. I completely missed that last time. So she has set up for Pierre to be the favourite and has kind of been the impetus of this whole intrigue. She really is a, a clever one, isn't she? She's a real social manipulator. Grumpy Shakespearean said, I said last chapter was the calm before the storm. I wasn't expecting the storm to start in the first sentence with Bezikov on the verge of death. Vasily, Vasily, Showed his true colours this chapter. What a snake. I thought at first that Vasily was upset about the Count's impending death, but no, he's concerned about the money. It was all I could do not to humorously humorously laugh when he said he only wanted to honour the Count's final wishes as if destroying his will does that. I couldn't figure out if Katerina was actually genuinely upset about the Count or if she just thinks this whole Pierre issue is ridiculous and not with entertaining. Favourite line? Uh, oh, so hard not to read on today. Who's got, who gets the money? Question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. Favourite line? The princess smiled as people do when they think they know more than the person they are talking to. Yeah, I like that line. Uh, Zukov with the summary. Here we go. Um, as the party continues, Count Bezikov has another stroke. Vasily is freaked out because he knows about the Count's will. Vasily starts talking to Katish, his cousin, who is obviously distraught about Bezikov's impending death. And while she is in no mood to talk and it feels very uncomfortable, Vasily explains about the Count's desire to leave everything to Pierre. As Pierre is illegitimate, the law would prevent him from getting the Count's money. But the Count has asked to adopt Pierre via letter. Vesikov demands to know where the letter is, and while Katish is reluctant to help, she gives in when Vasily brings up her discontent with Princess Drubetskoy. Oh, gosh. Um, oh, yeah, and the line comparison. Prince Katish in the middle of Vasily's request for the will. The princess, this is from Maud, the princess wished to rise, but the prince held her by the hand. She had the air of one who is, has suddenly lost faith 
in the whole human race. She gave her companion an angry glance. Briggs. The princess wished to rise, but the prince held her by the hand. She had the air of someone who has suddenly lost faith in the whole human race. She glared at him malevolently. PNV. The princess was about to get up, but the prince held her by the arm. The princess had the air of someone who was suddenly become disappointment appointed in the whole human race. She looked spitefully at her interlocutor. Um, let's have a look at the Anda Lewis translation. If I can find it. Ah, I found it. Here we go. The princess went to get up, but the prince held her hand. Suddenly, she seemed murderous, like she considered the entire human race worthless. She looked angrily at Prince Vasily. Oh, mine's really different that time. Hmm, cool. Um, oh shit, says Zukov17. It's about to get ugly. Money is such a derisive factor in our lives. And here, beneath a pillow on a dying man's bed, is the atomic bomb that's about to overshadow anyone else's faux pas thus far in the novel. Buckle up, everyone. Haha. Very cool. Um, it's entertaining, says Zaya Polan Okanya. To watch how ruthlessly Mekalovna plays the game. That woman gives no Fs. She just plows in simultaneously being all sugar and gentleness. Om nom nom science said, <laughs> Prompt three. I'm not sure that I trust Katish's account of Anna Mekalovna's meddling. I believe that she did meddle, but Katish, her sisters and Prince Vasily are also relations trying to ensure they get their money from the Count. They are so scornful of Anna Mikhailovna while the princesses live with the Count on his hospitality and have potentially kept Pierre from seeing the Count. Katish sounds a lot like Anna Mikhailovna when she talks about how much she has sacrificed, how much she has done for the Count and how much she doesn't care about the money, but then gets incredibly angry when she hears she might not be the heiress she thinks she is. Very good point. Twisted every way, he said, Oh, what a good chapter. Since Prince Vasily and his cousins have been keeping Pierre from seeing his father, despite Bezikov asking for him, that's so wrong. I meant it when I said a few chapters ago that Pierre should just barge in. He's the son. Um, yep, I would agree. Sam Samantha Crew said, Oh, God, this chapter is so good. Everything's getting very juicy. Uh, and One Hand Wheel said, This chapter made me think, think of the film Knives Out. Another fantastic story about the sins of the wealthy and squabbling over inheritance. Specifically, Vasily made me think of Michael Shannon's character in how he comes across as concerned and charismatic, but slowly reveals his vileness and greed the more the scene goes on. Um, oh my god, this chapter was got real, said Stained Glass Eyes. I wouldn't doubt that Prince Vasily attempts to thwart the Count's will to Pierre by any means necessary. What a vile family. Um, the scheming in this section is just absolutely delicious, said literature fans. And involuntary darkness says, wow, this was a juicy chapter. We can really begin to see the tides changing. I shall always remember that in this world, this is a quote from Katish that stuck out to involuntary darkness. I shall always remember that in this world, one must expect no reward. That is that in this world, there is neither honor nor justice in this world. One has to be cunning and cruel. It's very relatable and applicable. 
Alright. Juicy chapter. And I think, I can't really remember what the next chapter is, but there are some juicy ones coming up, and there's only a few more chapters left in book one. What is there? Five more chapters in book one? Six more? Something like that. So, here we go. Chapter 22, or chapter 19, if you're not reading Maud. Here we go. While these conversations were happening in the reception room and the princess's room, a carriage with Pierre, who had been sent for, and Anna Mikhailovna Drubetskaya, who insisted she should accompany him, was arriving in the court of Count Bezukhov's estate. As the wheels rolled softly over the straw beneath the windows, Anna Mikhailovna, having turned and spoken some comforting words to Pierre, realised he was asleep and woke him up. Pierre sniffled and shook himself awake, then followed Anna Mikhailovna out of the carriage, and only then started thinking about what lay ahead. A meeting with his dying father. He noticed that they had opted for the back door, not the front. While he was coming down the carriage steps, two men, they looked like tradies, ran from the entrance and hid in the shadow of the wall. Pierre paused a moment and noticed a bunch of other tradie-looking men hiding in the shadow of the house on both sides, but Anna Mikhailovna didn't take any notice of them. Neither did the footman or coachman, though they could definitely see them. It must be fine, Pierre concluded, and followed Anna Mikhailovna. She quickly ascended the narrow and dimly lit stone staircase, calling to Pierre the slowpoke to keep up. He didn't get why it was necessary, any of this, why did he need to go see the Count, and why did he need to take the back stairs? But Anna Mikhailovna left no room for doubt. She was so hasty and certain that these things must be done, that Pierre concluded that it must all be absolutely necessary. Halfway up the stairs they were almost bowled over by some drongos who were rushing down the stairs carrying pails, their boots clattering. These drongos, not seeming in the least surprised to see Pierre and Anna Mikhailovna, pushed up against the wall to let them pass. "'This is the way to the princess's apartments?' asked Anna Mikhailovna. "'Yep,' replied one of the footmen, in a bold and loud voice, as if anything was permissible now. He threw caution to the wind and elaborated, with something approaching a personality. "'The door on the left, ma'am.' "'Maybe the Count didn't ask for me,' Pierre tried when reaching the landing." I'd better go to my room. Anna Mikhailovna paused and waited for him to come up. Ah, oh, sweetie, she said, touching his arm the same way she touched her son's when speaking to him that afternoon. This is as hard for me as it is for you, believe me. Be a man. Yes, but I was having a think just now, and maybe instead of doing it, I could just go and hide? He asked, looking kindly at her over his specs. Ah, oh, sweetie pie, forget about all that nasty stuff that's happened. Think, here's your father. Perhaps in the agonies of death, she sighed. I've always loved you like a son I never wanted. Put your trust in me, love. I'll do what's right for you. Pierre had no clue what she was on about, but the sense that it must be done grew stronger, and so meekly he followed Anna Mikhailovna, who was already opening a door. Inside was an anteroom. An oldish man, a servant of the princess's, was sitting in a corner knitting a stocking. Pierre had never been in this part of the house. He didn't even know that these rooms existed. Probably a decent hiding place, he thought. Anna Mikhailovna asked a maid who was hurrying past with a decanter on a tray, calling her sweetie and darling, about the princess's health, and then took Pierre along a stone passage. The first door on the left led to the princess's apartments. 
The maid with the decanter had left the door open, must have been in a rush, everything in that house was being done in a rush that day, and Pierre and Anna Mikhailovna couldn't help themselves but take a little sneaky peek as they passed. They saw Prince Vasily and the eldest princess sitting close together and talking. Prince Vasily sniffed, a look of distaste crossing his face. He checked the heel of his shoe and then looked up to see them passing the door. Prince Vasily drew back with obvious impatience, while the princess got up with a grunt of frustration and slammed the door as hard as she could. Pierre had never seen Prince Vasily look so rattled. It was alarming. He was usually so dignified. More alarming was the behaviour of the princess. I mean, who slams a door? It wasn't like her at all. Pierre looked over his specs to his guide for guidance. Anna Mikhailovna did a little eye-roll sigh, as if to say, typical. "'Don't be a wuss, mate. I've got your back,' said she in reply to his look, and continued faster still along the passage. Pierre wasn't really following the situation too well. What did she mean by got your back, anyway?' Still, he decided his hands were tied. This was all apparently very necessary. From the passage, they went into a large, dimly lit room that joined onto the Count's reception room. It was one of those expensive-looking but cold apartments known to Pierre only from the front approach. But even in this room, there was an empty bath, very hide-inable, Pierre noted, with water spilled all around it on the carpet. They were met by a deacon who carried a censer and by a servant who was tiptoeing through, very nearly achieving his goal of becoming non-existent. Neither of these people interrupted their mission. They went into the reception room Pierre knew well. With two Italian windows opening into the conservatory, with its large bust and full-length portrait of Catherine the Great, the same people were still sitting around in there. Uh, they'd barely moved. They were whispering to each other, but quickly went silent and turned to look at the pale and tear-worn Anna Mikhailovna as she entered and at the big stout figure of Pierre who followed her meekly with his head hanging. Anna Mikhailovna's expression showed that she knew they had reached a critical moment. She assumed the air of a practical Petersburg lady, kept Pierre very close to her side, and entered the room as if she was supposed to be there. Act like you're supposed to be here, she reminded herself, and no one will stop you. And besides, she had brought Pierre her admission ticket, since the dying man had specifically requested to see him. She took a quick squeeze around the room at everyone present and noticed the Count's confessor there. She scooched over to him, politely shrinking in size in a sort of bow, and received the blessing first of one and then of another priest. "'Thank God that you are in time,' she said to one priest. "'All of us relatives of the Count have been worried sick. This young man here is the Count's son,' she added softly. "'What a mongrel of a day this is!' Having said this, she went up to the doctor. "'Excuse me, doctor,' said she. "'This young man here is the Count's son. Is there any hope?' The doctor looked up briefly and silently shrugged his shoulders. Anna Mikhailovna did the same movement, raising her shoulders and eyes, squinting, and sighed sadly. She moved away from the doctor to Pierre. She spoke to him in a particularly respectful and tenderly sad voice. "'Trust in God's mercy.' She pointed out a small sofa where he could sit and wait for her and went silently to the door that everyone was watching. It creaked very slightly as she disappeared behind it into the room of the dying man. Pierre had by now completely resigned himself to Anna Mikhailovna's instructions and so he moved obediently to the sofa. 
As soon as Anna Mikhailovna had disappeared, he'd noticed that every person in the room had their eyes locked on him. With something more than curiosity and sympathy, they whispered to each other, he noticed, casting significant looks at him with a kind of awe, and even civility. A deference like he had never before known was being shown to him. A strange lady, the one who had been talking with the priests, got up and offered him her seat. An aide-de-camp picked up a glove Pierre had dropped and returned it to him. The doctors became respectfully silent as they passed by and moved to make way for him. His instinct was to take another seat so as not to bother the lady and to pick up his glove himself and to make room for the doctors, for surely they were doing something important, but suddenly he felt that wasn't right. Suddenly he felt that he was the person obliged to perform some awful rite which everyone expected of him, and that somehow and that somehow that meant he had to accept their services. He took the glove in silence from the aide-de-camp and sat down in the lady's chair. He decided that the situation was beyond him and that it was all happening as it needed to. As it needed to. And with that thought, he became terrified of his own actions. He knew now that he must not act on his own ideas because he would definitely do something stupid and mess it all up and instead he must yield himself up entirely to the will of those who were guiding him, those who knew what the hell was going on. He placed his huge hands symmetrically on his knees in the naive attitude of an Egyptian statue, aware that no sane person would sit like this, but too scared to move in case he made it worse. Not two minutes later, Prince Vasily entered the room, looking all majestic with his head held high. He was wearing his long coat, with three stars on his breast. <laughs> Sorry, I was trying not to laugh at that last bit. <laughs> Sometimes I forget bits that I wrote and they make me laugh. <clears throat> not two minutes late. I tried not to laugh for like ten seconds, but I couldn't do it. Uh, not two minutes later, Prince Vasily entered the room, looking all majestic with his head held high. He was wearing his long coat with three stars on his breast. He looked thinner now than he did that morning. His eyes were all googly as he glanced around the room looking for Pierre. He went up to him, took his hand, which he never usually did, and firmly drew it downwards as if testing that it was attached. Be brave, mate, be brave. He wants to see you. It's all good. And he turned to go. Before Pierre could stop himself, he uttered the words, How is... but then halted, realising he was doing a thing which he had just promised himself he wouldn't do. Suddenly, the decision on how to end the sentence was too much for him. Should he say, the Count, or Father? What was the proper way to speak of a dying man? How did words work? Prince Vasily turned back to the young man, who was strangely frozen in the position of a sphinx. He had another stroke about half an hour ago. Be brave, mate. Pierre was so muddled up by now that when he heard the word stroke, his immediate thought was that he'd been struck by something. He looked at Prince Vasily in confusion. It didn't dawn on him till later that a stroke was a symptom of his illness. Prince Vasily said something to Lorraine as he left the room, tiptoeing out through the creaking door. He was a bad tiptoeer, Pierre noted, clumsily as a toddler doing ballet. The eldest princess followed Prince Vasily and the priests and deacons and some servants too into the dying man's room. From through the door came the sounds of things being shuffled quietly about. And at last, Anna Mikhailovna, still wearing the same look on her face, 
pale but determined to fulfil her duty, ran out and returned to Pierre, lightly touching his arm. Divine mercy, sweetie, is truly endless. Unction is about to be administered. Come. Pierre the Sphinx rose mechanically and went into the door. Moving across the soft carpet like a marionette puppet, he noticed the strange lady, the aide-de-camp, and some of the servants were all following him in, as if now it was fair game, and anyone could enter the room. Alright, there we go, another chapter down. Ha, huh, what made me laugh there? Something made me laugh. Ah, <laughs> oh, he placed his huge hands symmetrically on his knees, in the naive attitude of an Egyptian statue, aware that no sane person would sit like this, but too scared to move in case he made it worse. <laughs> that is funny. Ah, uh, golly, good old Tolstoy. I was going to say good old me, but really I think that the credit goes to Tolstoy for that one. All right, guys, thank you very much for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.